At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Now we're recording. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Tanner. Thank you for joining me on Cozy Cryptid. We'll talk about monsters and folklore and such. Today we're talking about Pueblo, Mexico. Located in East Central Mexico, Pueblo is home to five distinct indigenous groups, each with their own culture, beliefs, and legends. Today, we'll explore several of them. Pueblo was the site of a famous UFO crash in the late 1970s, and the craft was rumored to have left behind an extraterrestrial. Other Pueblans have claimed to see El Cuatlacos, Mexican cryptids that resemble Bigfoot. And lastly, we'll explore a few fascinating legends for its remarkable state. So I scroll down on the script. How are you guys doing this weekend? If you're in Tennessee, how are you? Crazy up your knees and yard sale stuff. Twenty-seven's going on. It goes straight through my town. So there's traffic up to the wazoo. People going five miles an hour trying to look at stuff. So that's what's happening over in my town. Alright, first up we have the UFO crash in 1977. July 9th, 29th, 1977 was an ordinary morning for Miguel Cruz, who owned a small plot of land outside the village of Hopapala in the northern part of the Mexican state of Pueblo. He got up, had a small breakfast, and left his house to start his daily activities. Suddenly, he began hearing loud, thundering sounds overhead even though there was no indication that it would rain that day. Cruz told an investigator, <clears throat> Then I looked up, and I saw those burning pieces falling from the sky. They looked very hot. One piece fell very close, and I even thought it was going to hit my head. When I thought the piece cooled off, I picked it up. That fragment of red-hot metal had damaged a concrete floor when it fell from the sky. When the piece was cold enough, Cruz wrapped it in a sack and took it to the church in Huapala to give it to a priest. The priest didn't want to keep it and handed it over to the municipal president, similar to a mayor, Don Antonio Hernandez Garcia, who kept it until he could figure out what to do with it. Other people from Huapala and nearby towns began finding other fragments of metals originating from this same event. Was this remote section of Pueblo part of some debris fields of the breakup of some extraterrestrial craft? <clears throat> the more the northern part of the Mexican state of Pueblo contains most some of the most inaccessible and little visited country in all of Mexico. 
parts of the state are so remote that not only began to receive European explorers for the first time in the mid-1800s. This heavily forested and mountainous area is very reminiscent of the Pacific Northwest of the United States. As a curious aside, this region of Mexico is home to a legendary cryptid that is very similar to North American Bigfoot called the Kutlakos, which we will discuss in the next section. In this remote part of Pueblo in July 1977, something did fall out of the sky. The humble Miguel Cruz was not the only witness to the aerial lights display, and he was not the only person to find wreckage of what appears to have been a UFO. According to a Mexican publication at the time, an apple seller from San Francisco who went into town and villages of Pueblo to sell his produce spread the world the word that he had seen an actual flying saucer crash. This generated interest from locals who want to see if they can find scraps of metal from a wreckage to sell as salvage. Many people from the towns of Buena Vida did not find some strange pieces of metal in the forest. Besides, that many eyewitness accounts on the morning of July 29, 1977, a radar station in the Pacific coastal town of Azertino tracked an unknown object headed to the northeast. Later, the Benito Jordes International Airport in Mexico City picked up the same blip on their radar. In the air that morning, the crew of Aerolius Argentina's Flight 371 flying their Boeing 707 over the countryside of Waxala sailed into called in to report the object. Airport control tower also confirmed the site, and the object was also caught on film. So we got okay. Let's count that again. We have the eyewitnesses. This one, uh, uh, radar two from um, Zotino, uh, the radar from the Benito Jordes uh, International Airport is three. The Boeing 707 4 and the airport control tower confirmed sighting that's 5 and it's calling film 6 that's 6 like sources like 6 like points of reference like witness of this event that's pretty wow that's pretty crazy Someone told Mexican film director Abel Salazar that they were there was an unusual object in the sky. Salazar was located uh, filming another movie and instructed his cameraman to point their camera upwards. On film, the UFO appears to be a large sparkler crossing the sky. Many of the movie crew just assumed that what they were filming was a comment. By the time this strange craft reached Pueblo, some witnesses have reported that three objects overhead, not just one. Either by explosion or simple breakup, the objects or objects, the object or objects eventually crashed into the remote Sierra Norte of the state. As the film footage and eyewitness accounts quickly made it to the press, the event immediately drew interest from local and international UFO researchers. The first formal investigation was made prior uh, was made by reporters Fernando Torres 
Fausto Rosales, and Pablo Ortega. Author Alfonso Salaraza Mendoza <clears throat> occupied the three reporters and eventually wrote a book about the incident called Title in English, The UFO Crash in Puebla. <clears throat> Over the course of a few months, the investigators made 13 expeditions to different points in what they call Zone A and Zone B. Zone A included sites originally visited by the curious reporters and UFO researchers. UFO searcher seekers such as Tatino, Libres, Zorozaga, Zorogaza, and four other towns. Only two places made up Zone B, the town of Filomino Mata and the state of Veracruz and the city of Guajapala in Puebla, where the first physical evidence of UFO was found by Miguel Cruz. Alternate areas included sites of the Akosfitilin, Kamotepec, Dactilan, and Chinakawapan Mountains, as well as various places in the states of Tlaxcala, including the Matakia Mountains, and several intermediate points over the course of the investigation. A team found several scraps of metal allegedly to have been from the crash object, and they gathered to many stories from the locals. The stories range from the highly descriptive to absurdly fanciful. A team of reporters took one of the debris samples to a lab and did not inform the lab of the same or sample's origins. The metallurgists who tested the metal's piece came up with some interesting findings. It was extremely durable steel silicon chromium alloy that was very close to the alloy of Spanish origin used to manufacture high-resistant industrial springs. Melkoders said it was the first time they had seen something like that in the form of a sheet. They call it a rare piece for rare use. In late 1977, one keen researcher noted that on July 17, 1977, the Soviet Union launched the Cosmos 929 satellite from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. The third stage of the rocket that carried the satellite re-entered the Pierce atmosphere on July 29, 1977, the very day of the crash of the alleged Pueblo UFO. When asked by Mexican reporters, the Soviet Union, Soviet embassy in Moscow offered no comment about the incident, nor did they offer any specifics about their space program. Yeah, they don't say shit during the fucking Cold War, dude. Talking about crazy, no sick. We do. Can I get a rocket, dude? Oh, God. Why would they say anything during the Cold War? It's like mid-Cold War. The Mexican government did not formally investigate this case, at least publicly. The official story of what happened in the skies of Pueblo on that day in July was clean and simple. The experiments that fell to Earth were mere pieces of Soviet space hardware. It was all just space junk. Case closed. But what are the stories from the locals? Reporters previously mentioned who conducted an extensive boots on the ground investigation did their best to talk to all the eyewitnesses. Many of the people of the remote Sierra Norte of Puebla, Puebla uh, are native, Ameri- native speakers of Totonic 
Uh, so the investigators faced a bit of a language barrier, with younger family members often called in to help with translation to Spanish. One eyewitness said he was saw an actual flying saucer <laughs> on the ground crash in the forest. Uh, three small buildings, small buildings approximately the grades of UFO lore, exited the wreckage, staggering and appearing disoriented before falling to the ground. Oh, fuck, they were drunk, dude. It's like, oh, fuck. Fuck me off. Y'all drunk over here. An often repeated story in the mountains is that of a female American graduate student who was in the area doing field research when a UFO crashed near her. When a woman went to the craft, a group of small beings emerged and mobilized her and took her aboard. In every version of the story, the woman's boyfriend was a U.S. Marine, but he was not with her. The investigators tried to track down this mysterious American grad student, but had no luck. A story in a French UFO magazine, which covered events of Pueblo, claimed the Mexican military, with the help of the Americans, created a restricted zone at the site of the debris field to gather up all the wreckage and take away any bodies or survivors. The investigation, investigators could not confirm this with the locals or with the Mexican government. If there were bodies of aliens in the wreckage, what happened to them? What do you think happened to them? Probably got fucking ate them, dude. Probably ate them like burgers. That's how we got McDonald's, McDouble beer. So we got McRibs, dude. Eating aliens. Don't we know it? Can. One story uh, told by the locals. The bodies were taken by townsfolk and burned. And another story. A woman in a village claims she used the right... She uses the bright red blood of the dead extraterrestrials in the paints she used to decorate her pottery. What the fuck? In the most bizarre story of all, the aliens from the ships looked very human throughout the crash. Not only were they uninjured, the spacemen joined a soccer match in one of the local towns and used their mastery of anti-gravity techniques to do unimaginable things with a soccer ball to ensure a hearty victory for their team. That's an amazing story. I want to see that movie. It's Ellen's crash and they just helped this town out when a soccer game. That's amazing. It's unknown whether the people who were telling these stories were just repeating what they had heard or if much of what was being said was lost in translation. Or if the locals were just playing jokes on the investigators by making up tall tales. It's an amazing story. But it's true. Look at what that's true, though. It's crazy. How you doing, everybody? The alleged flying saucer crash at Playbo may be connected with to a paranormal hotspot located about 50 miles south of the debris field, Laguna de Al. Chiaca, situated in the border of the states of Pueblo and Veracruz, is a small, salty lake inside a collapsed volcanic cone. For years, people have seen UFO enter and leave the lake. It is rumored to either be a bombless or to have a large subterranean tunnel that exits to the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> so, also, people have reported strange creatures in and around the lake, including the Talacana, a mermaid-like serpent woman, a legend that makes back many hundreds of years. 
Oh, cool. Uh, 2003 radio interview. UFO experiencer Miguel Angel. Miguel Angel uh, Muganya Lumon. Uh, describe his extraterrestrial encounter at Alquica Lake. He said that three beings, two female and one, two males and one female, approached him while he was on the shores of the lake. They were somewhat luminescent and somewhat transparent. He belongs to the race of Nordics in UFO lore, the tall and blonde aliens who are thunder than the most more nefarious grays. The three beings then boarded a disc, disc-shaped. Uh, Craft, which, like them, is also vaguely luminescent and transparent. The disc disappeared into the lake. Magunya uh, asked people around the El Chica, El Chica, that's how you say it, if they had seen similar things. And someone, and everyone he spoke to, was had stories about metallic craft plunging into the lake or merging from it. My many locals believe that Lake Alchica is home to a very active extraterrestrial base located somewhere in its depths. Is a 1977 crash somehow connected to this UFO hotspot? On July 29th, 1977, something fell from the skies over Puebla, causing much excitement and speculation. To this day, this alleged saucer crash remains a mystery and one of the most bizarre unsolved UFO cases in all of Mexico. Whoa, that's crazy, dude. So what do you think, chat? In here? Someone's lurking. Who's in here? Oh, is it in here in chat on my Twitch right now while I record it? Miscellanity, social friends. There's some people in here. I don't know. So, I think it's not much of anything, but pictures. All right. Tell you about uh, how you can help support the podcast real quick. All right, for all you local businesses out there, here in my town of Crossville, Tennessee, are you tired of paying interchange? You know, credit card processing? How every time someone uses a credit card or a debit card or something like that, and you have to pay the coverage. How much, you ever think about how much money you spend every year on interchange? What if I tell you you can offset your processing fees by 100%? The unlimited processing, no contracts, unmatched savings, free automated terminal, full closure, and no annual fee. If you make $100,000 a month with merchant processing fees, 
If, if you have over $100,000 in merchant processing fees, you can do this with a one flat rate of $100 a month. If you make 5000 to 10000 you can make it. You can do this for $50 a month. And if you do this, if you make less than $5,000, if you process less than $5,000 in credit card processing fees in a month, you can do this for a flat rate of $25 a month with no processing fees like you will get with Square. What am I talking about? I'm talking about VisiPay. VisiPay is credit card processing. Allow, gives you the cash discount program. Allows you, the small merchant, to save on processing fees by handing it over to the customer. With the pay uh, cash discount program, you save 100% on processing. But if you don't want to do that, you can do the hybrid program where you pay for the uh, debit card. You only pay for the debit card while customers pay for the credit and, and the free terminal. Right? So you're only paying You know what I mean? There's more to this. I'm trying to make this quick and simple to understand. It's pretty simple. So what you do is simply mark up your prices of 4% cover, which is about the roughly the estimated cost of the interchange rate of credit cards, right? 4%. What BizPay does is they isolate that markup and take it out. So say something's $10, you mark up $10.40. They'll take, VisiPay will take that 40 cents and subtract it. So you get the full $10. Instead of you having to pay, someone pays you $10 and you don't have this, you'll be still, you only make 960 with the credit card. But also with this, you also get a markup. And someone pays for cash, he paid it flat $10. Of course, there's taxes depending on your state. And this is only an example. But continuing on to the next story of Q Lucas, LQ Lucas. Go to visitpay.com or call me. My number is 9312 Uh LQ Lucas, the other Mexican Bigfoot. Why is my shit fucking like frozen, dude?
Okay. LQ Loctis. Uh, sometime in the summer of 2011, somewhere in the old growth pine forest of the Mexican state of Pueblo, Hector Lopez and two of his friends were cutting timber illegally in a protected area far away from any human settlement, just off an old forest road. When they arrived at their designated woodcutting site, they heard animal noises in a nearby thicket of small trees. The grunts and growls were not far not from any animal that the men were familiar with. They paid little attention to the animal sounds as they raised up their chainsaws and went to the task of cutting timber. After felling a dozen or so trees, Lopez and his friends still heard the strange animal noises, but closer and in greater intensity. Excuse me. As it was getting darker, a trio lit a bonfire and settled down to rest. Their plan was to load up the truck and leave the forest for the city at first light. After they built the bonfire, the woodcutters noticed a rustling in the trees nearby with the animal noises they had heard earlier even closer than before. Without giving them much time to react, from out of the trees emerged a nine-foot-tall creature standing upright like a human and covered from head to toe in thick, dark, tangled fur. Oh shit. Is it a bear? It's probably a bear of some kind. Maybe. The creature grabbed one of the failed tree trunks and headed for the truck. One of the tree men tried shooting at it, but it just kept coming. They ran down the old forest road to get away. The three men soon happened on some forest rangers and Lopez related to them the story of their encounter. The rangers did not believe the tale and asked the man to take them to the site of their clandestine lumber operation. While they found no trace of the hairy beasts, they found the truck totally destroyed. One of the rangers had said that what they had witnessed was the work of the Kualux. A Bigfoot-like creature that has lived in the high forest of central Mexico since time immemorial. Hector Lopez told this story to Carlos Evia Cervantes, a reporter for the Mexican online news site SIPSE.com, and it appeared in an article dated November 2nd, 2016. When people think of Mexico, thick and seemingly endless mountain forests of oak and pine rarely come to mind. Yet in the central Mexican state of Puebla, such forests exist and some were not explored or mapped until mid-1800s. The northern third of the state of Pueblo is called the Sierra Norte, and many old-growth forests of this area remain untouched and protected by the government. Also, Puebla is home to three of Mexican's tallest mountains, Apopacatilpeto, Isacotol, uh, and Pico de Orizaba. Also known as Sitalapetel. Uh, these, sorry. Uh, these tall mountains are primarily snow capped and their respective environments are reminiscent of the Himalayas or the Alps. Could these inaccessible and harsh environments also be home of a yet unclassified humanoid? Legends of such a creature called the Kuatalukas. Uh, 
reached back to the antiquity and have only recently received attention from cryptozoologists or those who study legendary and or previously unknown animals. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The name Kutalakas comes from the old uh, Titanic dialect and means forest guardian. Kutalakas is rarely known outside of the modern Mexican state of Puebla. However, and then very few Mexicans have ever heard of the creature. With the ever-increasing availability of technology, sightings of this creature have been on the increase of late. The Cuatro Lucas uh, has been described as looking much like the North American Bigfoot or Yeti of Central Asia. Standing between 7 and 9 feet tall, weighing around five to 600 pounds, covered in dark matted hair with somewhat human-like facial features. The Kutalakas is hostile to intruders and is very territorial. I imagine so. Okay, local legends say that the creature is the custodian of the forest and dislike human interference in his habitat. So it is best to stay away and let the creature be. It is not known to have a language, just very distinct, distinctive grunts and howls, and usually vocalizes its displeasure when humans are around. It has been known to be violent, and as in the case of Hector Lopez and the destroyed truck. No physical evidence of the Kutalakas, bones, fur, blood samples, etc., has ever been found and brought in for scientific analysis. What is left behind often are footprints, along with a past of destruction. Encounters with the Kutalakas are never benign. The creature appears to have a cousin living in the jungles of tropical Mexico and Central America called the Sistemite. That we covered in an earlier episode. Yes, we did. Uh, besides his jungle-dwelling cousin, the Quetzalcoatlus has no other Mexican relatives, and is very, and very few signs outside the Mexican state of Puebla. The closest Bigfoot sighting is across the border in the United States, almost a thousand miles away. Although there is no physical evidence of the existence of the Quetzalcoatlus, there may be some archaeological and historical ethnographic evidence that the creature was known to pre-Hispanic peoples in Mexico. A clay artifact dating back 2,000 years found in the Mexican state of Campeche, just a few hundred miles from the supposed current range of the Cuatalacas nicknamed the Olmec Ape, depicts a large, hairy, human-like creature. As previously mentioned, some of the highest peaks in Mexico are still in glacial state, and pine forests yield to snowfields at the higher elevations. The harsh environments on the slopes of Mexico's largest mountains have spawned the need for an alpine rescue division of the park services and the country 
of trained professionals to assist hikers in peril. Extreme mountaineers have become increasingly more popular in Mexico in the past 20 years, and many experienced park officials and Mexican cold climate mountains climbers have had signs of the Cotalacas on the slopes of Mexico's formidable peaks. So they're on the mountains. Face looks like that, dude. All right. So, interesting, right? So these Mexican Bigfoot are like on the mountains, dude. Quatalacas. One such professional is Guillermo Guillermo Valdez, who ascended, who described an in on an on camera interview his encounters with the Bigfoot like creatures on the icy slopes of the volcano Popocatepetl. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. 100%, I'm 100% I'm saying that wrong of that volcano. Uh, he said he was on the route to the top of the crater. They saw a tall, thin, dark brown human looking being scale the side of the volcano at a very rapid place. The creature did not wear any equipment, which is strange in such extreme weather. What would have taken an experienced hiker a few hours to climb, the hairy being did it in about 15 minutes. Next day, Videlis and his members of his hiking team found tricks in the snow. The huge footprints had what appeared to be indentations of a claw coming from the back of the leg. What? Which has probably assisted the being in climbing, much like a hiker's crampon. What? Lurk. Hello, Mistooki. The huge footprints had been appeared to be uh, probably it's like a hiker's crampon. When a Vidal's interview aired, many other experienced hikers came forward with their stories of sightings of tall, hairy humanoids while hiking in the national park that encompasses both the public Pazel and Escalo volcanoes. Alright. Some experts believe that the taller, the thinner humanoid creatures are part of the UFO phenomenon and they come directly from extraterrestrial crafts which is a more modern twist to the legend that reaches back thousands of years. As with Bigfoot, research in the United States of Canada, research on the Cotalacas branches off from zoology to purely paranormal. Researchers are unable to determine if this is some sort of spirit being, something connected to ancestral visitation, or a flesh and blood terrestrial animal previously undescribed. There has been very little investigation by foreigners into this somewhat regional cryptid. As the story of the Cotalactas comes known outside of Mexico, perhaps this ancient creature will attract the attention of serious Bigfoot hunters or perhaps the curious investigators. Will heed the advice of the locals and just leave the Cotalactas alone to serve as the guardians of the forest as they always have been? Dude, it's 
cool story. Got hiking, skiing, Bigfoot. It's like, yeah, I'm a forest dude. So, get out of here. All right, we're back with a little bit of. That's uh, my hands, I guess. Everybody. Hey, it's summertime. That means the sun's out, right? Hot in your face all the time. Can you sunburn? Can we help with that? A hat, right? Hat is looks cool. Looks makes your hair not so shitty when you have a bad hat day because it's all covered up by the hat, right? Cover also helps you with the fuck sun out of your eyes and keeps the sun off your face and your head. You know what's real cool? The environment. The environment is awesome. I love trees. I love beautiful lakes and forests. Forest? Is it forests or forest? It's like deer and deer. Forest. How do you say multiple forests? A forests? It's not right. It's forest, right? Anyway. Back on point. So if you want a hat, you can save some money and help out the environment. Go over snazzerx.com. Right, StanzerX.com, and they're a hat brand. And they're giving, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, Curls Encrypted, you can go type and go in your uh, Google machine or your uh, internet provider, I don't know, Zello, Firefox, or Internet Explorer, or whatever. Go type in StanzerX.com, and you're going to go ahead and pick out a hat. You have tons of hat styles. Like the classic, go here to the classic collection. And you have this uh, cool uh, chest eye hat. And I got the Lord, I myself got, I got the Beardman and the Lord's Eye hats. We got hats for like this different. Uh, cool, and like flat bill hats and everything. Got Indian Chief. That's pretty dope. What we're gonna do is go pick a hat. Say it's Cheshire hat, right? And so I do this on my. Add to your cart. Hit checkout, right? And hit checkout. You're gonna type in this discount code. You guys ready? You ready for a discount code? Why is it fucking stupid? So what we're gonna do is uh type in discount code. Uh cozy caps. All caps, cozy caps. And that's gonna give you probably that. I was going to give you 35% off your order at checkout. I'm going to get, go to, so recap one more time. Get it recap, cozy caps. You're going to go over to snazzerx.com and 
when you pick out a hat on your order, you're going to type in Cozy Caps for 35% for order. And for every hat you sell, you buy at Cozy Caps, you will be planting a tree because they promise for every hat they sell, they will plant one tree. So help the environment, save some money, help out the podcast, do all that at centerx.com and use Cozy Caps at checkout. Thank you. Horrible. I'm so horrible at ad reads, dude. <clears throat> Alrighty. Got some legends for you. The Mexican state of Pueblo in East Central Mexico is bordered by the states of Veracruz, Northeast, North and East, Hidalgo, Mexico, Tosca, and Morales to the West, and Guerrero and Oaxaca to the south. Is that right? Uh, the state's capital, the city of Puebla, was founded in 1531 by the Spaniards to serve as a midway <clears throat> stopover between Mexico City and Gulf Coast. This region is rich in history and home to many legends, some going back hundreds of years. Here are several. Are you ready? Can I get some? A ghost. Can I get a ghost in chat? If you're ready for these stories, a little spoopy. A ghost? Something? Nothing, chat. Okay. The little devil in the church of San Miguel. Little devil in the church of San Miguel. Uh, okay. Uh, the small chapel of San, San Miguelito is said uh, to be the oldest church of uh, Kuala uh, City, immediately to the west of the capital city of Puebla. Kuala is known as the site of the largest pyramid in the world. What? That's cool. Tell me more about that. Uh, a small church dedicated to the archangel. Archangel St. Michael once had a meticulously carved statue of Saint near the altar. For those unfamiliar, St. Michael is usually depicted brandishing his sword and battling with the devil. This statue, this statue was no different. Places the feet of this exquisite wood carving of St. Michael was a red devil, but the devil was its own carving. People would come to this small church from the town and surrounding countryside to pray to St. Michael's statue. Sometimes, though, they would say a prayer to a small devil to cover their bases and make sure all their prayers were answered. Some locals frowned upon this practice because they believed that praying to the little devil carving was giving power to Satan himself. Soon, the bad things happening around town were attributed to the small devil, and some people claimed that they had seen the wood figure at night lurking about town. Indeed, Sometimes the local priest or caretaker would claim to open up the chapel and find devil sculptor missing, only for it to reappear in its familiar place beneath St. Michael next day or in different parts of the church. What the fuck? When a new priest took over to Paris, he heard the locals would come to the chapel just to visit the devil to pray for love, money, or revenge. The priest immediately got rid of the statue of St. Michael, his occupying devil, and, his, and things briefly returned normal to Koalala. 
Yeah, ooh. Next story. We have the bridge of evil elves. And that was amazing. Tell me more about this bridge of evil elves. Tainer. Okay, I will. Listener. You're very welcome. Everyone go check out all G1s on Twitch, by the way. Like all G1s. Everyone I'm following, fall back. Everyone watch them all the time, 24-7. Give them all the money. They're amazing people and deserve much love. Right, back to the Bridge of Evil Elves. Okay, the second largest city in the Mexican state of Pueblo is called uh, Chua Akaken, founded in 1660 by Spanish. The city is located on the southeastern part of the state. Chua Akaken is home to a curious legend that, that dates back to a few hundred years. It tells of a man named Hilario who was out drinking with his friends one night and walked home alone. On his walk, he had to cross a bridge. While on the bridge, he saw a large white chicken. Hilario chased the chicken down the bridge, but then noticed it was starting to transform itself into something else. The man stood there and bore him appeared an angry-looking elf, sometimes locally called Achanike. When Hilario saw the chicken transform himself, he started to back away. The man, elf, the mad elf, walked towards the man and was then joined by a dozen or so other elves that decided to jump Hilario and attack him mer- mer- without mercy. The man managed to escape and told the locals what had happened to him. Hilario immediately left Tukotan, never to return. What's that story? What's that gap there? He told locals what happened to him. He's like, then I'm moving out of this town. So what the fuck happened? There's like a big gap there of like events that happened between those two sentences. Uh, I feel like it's like, yes, we worship these elves. These are our cult. We sacrifice. You were to sacrifice. Hilario. The people of the city stay away from the bridge to this day. It is said at night, one can hear the macabre chuckling of the little elves who live under that bridge. <laughs> like that? Kind of chuckling? Number three. The Fountain of the Dolls. No, I hate dolls. Stop. I can't. Stop. In uh, Onaka uh, neighborhood of the city of Puebla, there stands a curious fountain enclosed in a cement structure that looks like a gazebo. The central feature of the fountain is a statue of two children, a boy and a girl, a brother and a sister. The girl is carrying school books, and the boy used to be carrying an umbrella, but it broke off or was vandalized many years ago. The mountain is called by the locals La Fuente de los Muñecos, or in English, a fountain of the dolls. A statue represents two local children of the Anaka neighborhood, aged six and seven, who left home for school one morning in the middle of a rainstorm and never made it to school. Sad. It's real sad. In life, 
the brother and sister were known as the Los Monicos or the Dolls because their mother dressed them impeccably. On the faithful day of their disappearance, the whole neighborhood looked for the two children and found nothing. They disappeared without a trace. Rumors circulated that they fell down a deep well, but no bodies were ever found in any of the local wells. Some say, if you go to the fountain before the sun rises, the statue of the children will be gone. Locals allege that during the night, the students come to life, filled statues come to life, filled with the spirits of the lost brother and sister. On some mornings, witnesses claim shoes of the statues have scuff marks on them. Occasionally, one of the statues will have what looks like a scraped knee. Some local children beg the parents to let them go at night to play with the reanimated Nichols. But most parents in the Azaka neighborhood or Naka have the good sense to keep the kids indoors. Whoa, that's a good story. Alright, I'll get that story. Pretty good, right? Uh, so, the next, number four. The Justice of the Los Sapos District. The District of Los Sapos the heart of the city of Pueblo is home to an electric, electric, electric mix of shops, bars, and restaurants. It is a colorful area of much joy and revelry, and people stay out enjoying the festive atmosphere at a place well into the wee hours. Do you need a party? Everyone party and go forward, hanging out and chilling, shopping and cool stuff. Oh, that place. To the Lovescan culture. Uh, locals tell a cautionary tale of what happens to people who get carried away a little too much. A story involves a dog and a beautiful young woman. Oh, no. It's going to go wrong. The young woman who have engaged in too much... The young woman who have engaged in too much of the party atmosphere... Have to look out for a cute black puppy that will come up to them and tempt them to pet it. The innocent little dog turns into a vicious animal that bites it at and strikes its victims with its gigantic paws. Young men need to be on the outlook for a charming young woman who will lure men to a dark alley. When a man tries to kiss this beautiful woman, she turns into a horrible skeleton. Her victims are petrified and usually die of heart attacks. So the Papalonos say, please be careful if you wish to spend a late night full of drinks in the Los Zappos district, or you may run into these horrible creatures. A puppy that will smack the shit out of you with his giant paws, or hot or a beautiful woman who turns into a skeleton that will cause you to have a heart attack and die. Those were amazing. Uh so that was Pueblo, Mexico, over here in Cozy Cryptid. Hope you enjoyed it, and hope you have a wonderful week. I will be on my Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash G1 Tanner, playing Witcher or NBA 2K21, or maybe something else, or something, I don't know, whatever people want to play, want me to play, I'll play it, if I can, out of money to pay it, buy it and pay it. Or if I don't have it already, you know. 
And uh, probably starting this job selling insurance. By the way, I got my insurance license, everybody. How about that? You like that shit? I'm an insurance agent. How about that? In Tennessee. I'm a, I can, for health and life insurance. By the way, get health and life insurance. Because I guarantee that your current insurance from your employer sucks dick. Right? It's probably terms for It's probably uh, like a term. Sir, uh, insurance, term life, or something like that. Going get is like whole life, dude. Whole life is where that you get like a flat rate, like no premium upkeeps, and you keep it flat for fucking forever. And you hit the bucket, you got some fucking money. Or if you got like a mortgage, you want to pay off your mortgage, get like a term. You're like a increasing term that's like matches your mortgage. All right. So you want to do you have like a 30 year mortgage. You want a 30 year decreasing term. So when it's out, you pay off the mortgage. It covers $100,000 decreasing term for your $100,000 mortgage. And both making like 15, 30, 15. All right. That's all you want. You don't get like disability and shit too. Just cover your shit in case you hit yourself. In case you get hurt at work. You can't work for a while. But anyway. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I've been Tanner. Uh, so last week we did an episode of Lord of the Rings episode. Let me know. Again, if you want to do, want me to do more on that, uh, follow me on TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, TikTok is a Crazy Cryptid Pod Cast. Uh, so is Instagram at Crazy Cryptid Podcast. Uh, t- Twitter is Crazy Cryptid Pod. You can find me. That's the show. That's a, at G One Tanner on everything except for Facebook because Facebook is not for everybody. That's for my friends and family. Right. If I find you, I want to be friends with you. All right. Talking to you. I'm talking to you. Okay. Guy listening, person listening to this. Not want to be my friend. Can I be your friend, dude? I'll about you like hit me up sometime. Talk about like I don't know. Talk about how. Everything is like on a hamster wheel, dude. How about that? And we're all salary snip simps to salary money. How about that? You talk about that. I won't make this last too long because if I make it too long, the uh, audio will be file will be too big and I can't upload it without fucking making it small, like horrible, like bit rate. So I'm going to end it here. I want to scratch my foot because I have a freaking bug bite on my foot. It's just freaking bad. What the hell? <laughs> Catch you later. Alright, so that was the recording episode. Wait, I'm still recording, fuck. Hello.
What is it? Outro music up, please. Thank you for listening, by the way. I really appreciate it, guys. Really. By the way, seriously, uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Or you did enjoy the episode. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.